You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. The Bible can be a, a really difficult book to understand. It can be a challenging book to synthesize and put together. There are places that we read about that we're really not familiar with. There's hundreds and thousands of names we see that we can, we can barely pronounce. There are, there are stories, there is poetry, there's prophecy, and some of it, quite frankly, is a little bit odd. Wouldn't it be great if there was just one verse in the Bible, or even one passage, that, that really summarized the whole Bible, that really, in a nutshell, made the whole Bible make sense? We're going to study that verse this morning because I do believe there is a passage that gives us a sweeping perspective of what the Bible is about from Genesis to Revelation. Let's pray and one last time and let's invite God to speak to us this morning. Father, you're a good father to us. You are kind in a, in a, in a place where almost half the babies that will be born today will be born without dads in their lives and a in a culture where many of us uh, in this room maybe don't have a good relationship with our dad, you're not that kind of a father. You're a father who loves us. You're a father who provides for us, who protects us, who would never abandon us, who would never abuse us, who would never neglect us. You love us, Father, with all the love that you have for your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you being eternal God, you humbled yourself And you added to your perfect divinity, humanity. You were born in a remote place in the earth. You lived the only perfect life that's ever been lived. Lord Jesus, you went to the cross. And there you suffered humiliation. You took upon your sinless self our sin. You were made a public spectacle of. You received the wrath of God that's that's due us. And Lord Jesus, you were buried and you raised, you were risen from the dead. You are now at the right hand of the Father. You are worthy of worship. And I pray in the next few minutes as we look at the Bible, we would worship you, Jesus. Father and Son, thank you for sending the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we do invite you this morning to to take out your scalpel and to go deep and do heart surgery on us. We pray that you would make much of Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray for those in the room who are religious and yet don't know Jesus, I pray in the next few minutes together that you would breathe new life into their dead souls and that they would meet Jesus for the first time and that they would not only be forgiven of their sin, they'd be free to live a new life of worship. So we ask you to do huge things. We trust you to do huge things. We expect you to do huge things for the glory of Jesus. In his good name we pray together. Amen. Stonegate, it's great to be with you today. I've had a wonderful week and got to spend time with your guys yesterday, with the men here, and uh, you should be encouraged. You have men who love Jesus and love uh, their wives, love their families, love their city, and it's really encouraging to see. I got to be honest with you, I really like your pastor. Pastor Rodney's uh, becoming a dear friend all the time. I got to have dinner on Friday night at the Texas Roadhouse with him and Laura and Hannah and Eva and Caleb. It was awesome. Haven't had red meat in a while, and it was and only the way that Texas could deliver it was wonderful. And uh, it's just good to be with you today. We're going to take a look at a passage today that I really think gives us a synopsis, an oversight of the whole Bible. 
And the truths that we're going to uncover in this passage, I think, have a lot to do with you personally, who you are and, and what you're doing in life. I think they have everything to say to who we are together as a church. I think they have uh, tremendous application to Midlothian and to Mansfield and to the Metroplex and to the ends of the earth. Uh, I think it has tremendous meaning as the way that we look at all of creation. So the biggest of big ideas today, we're going to look at the Bible and see what is the big idea here. So if you have a Bible, uh, old school Bible, turn with me to Colossians 1. If you are high tech, then go to your Bible app on your iPhone, whatever works for you. God's word is God's word. Colossians 1, verse 15. We're speaking of Jesus here. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Two things immediately right out of the gate that we learn about Jesus is he is the representation, he is the likeness of God. When we see Jesus, we see all that God is. Not only that, he's the firstborn of all creation. Now we need to be careful there because this doesn't imply in the original language that there was a time where Jesus wasn't. We're not saying that. We believe in a Trinitarian God. We believe that God is three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Co-eternal, co-existent, co-worthy of worship. There never has been a time where Jesus wasn't. What this word really means is not that he was first in time, but he's first in importance, right? He's, he's, he's superior. He's above all. Think of it this way, and I want this to encourage you because I, I think you may be a little bit down this morning. Think for just a minute of the Texas Rangers, Okay? If we would have looked at them two weeks ago, we would have said they are first, if we use this language, they are firstborn in the American League West, meaning they're winning, they're superior, uh, they, they are the best, they are the bomb in the American League West. Now, I did some research, and the Texas Rangers uh, really aren't the oldest team in the American League West. Would you believe the Los Angeles Angels began playing baseball in eight? 1992. Isn't that amazing? Some of you who are old heads in the room this morning, you remember a time in the Metroplex when there were no Texas Rangers. You may remember all the way back to when Texas Rangers were roaming the the great South Plains of Texas. I don't know. But when I say the Texas Rangers are firstborn, if I use the same language, what I'm really saying is they're preeminent. They're superior. That's what we're saying about Jesus. Jesus is superior. He is supreme over everything. He is the image of God. Look at the next verse, verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. That's amazing. How can it get any bigger than that? Do you see what this verse is saying about Jesus? All things were created by him. He is the creator. All things were created through him. And according to John 1, he is the word of God. So he's the agency of creation. So literally what this verse means is in his sphere, in his person, the whole world came into being. Through him the world was created. And look at that last phrase. All things exist for him. That's amazing. That means everything that's ever existed, things that are visible, things that are invisible, were created by Jesus, through Jesus, 
and for Jesus. That means that everything that exists has its origin in Jesus, and everything that exists ultimately has its destiny in Jesus. He's a pretty big deal, isn't he? All right, do you see that? Look at this next statement. Gets even better. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's an interesting phrase. I know we get real scientific on this one. We want to look at atoms and molecules and things like that. But what this basically means is everything that exists only makes sense if you understand Jesus. It means everything has meaning only in Jesus. It means Jesus is the ultimate reality. When you and I look around the creation, we look at our lives, we look at everything that exists, both visible and invisible, the only way any of this makes sense and has meaning and reality is through Jesus. Let me see if I can explain it better. I'm a southwestern guy, okay? Grew up in New Mexico. It is a state in the Union, all right? And and lived next door to you here uh, for years. Spent some time in the Metroplex. Lived in North Dallas and Plano for about six years in the late 80s and early 90s. And recently, my family, I've got a lovely wife, Kara, four daughters, four beautiful daughters. I am the poster boy for one who is a minority living in a sorority, okay? That's me. And they each celebrated a huge birthday this year, milestone birthday. So my girls are 21, 18, 16, 13. There is never, yeah, there is not, thank you for that sympathy. There's never a lack of drama in my home. It's wonderful. Uh, It's great, but it's always exciting. Never a dull moment. I thank Jesus every moment that my wife helps me translate girl speak, because then I can communicate. Uh, recently, this, late this summer, we moved from Albuquerque, New Mexico, where I've lived the last 15 years, to Seattle, Washington, to be a part of Mars Hill Church uh, on, the, on the senior leadership team there. And uh, two, of, two of my girls are, are in Lubbock. They're going to Texas Tech. And two, the two younger ones, the 16-year-old and the 13-year-old, Jennifer and Jillian, they moved with us to Seattle. Now, I got to tell you, having lived almost my whole life in the Southwest. Seattle is a different kind of place, okay? Have you been to Seattle? Are you from Seattle? It's just different. Everyone has a cause, and almost everyone's cause revolves around the environment in some way. It's a very green city. It's a very green place, and everybody's cause is pretty narrow. So people are trying to save the wolves. People are trying to save the salmon. People are trying to save the bears that eat the salmon they're trying to save. But everyone has a narrow focus. And quite honestly, as I told you earlier, I'm from Southwest. You know how we are here. We don't necessarily roll that way. So I move into a new home that we rent in Seattle, and there are spiders everywhere. Spiders everywhere. Now, spiders don't creep me out. It's, it's not a big deal. My girls don't like them. My wife abhors them. It means I need to do something about it. I'm more of a snake guy. I don't want to even get near snake. Just saying the word sends a tingle down my spine. So we do what you would do if your house was filled with spiders, at least everywhere else in the United States of America. We call the Orkin Man. He pulls up in his truck. He comes and he investigates our house and he says, I've been doing extermination for 35 years in Seattle. This is the third worst house I've ever seen with a spider infestation. Mr. Bruscus, what do you want me to do with them? And I said, kill them. Kill them all. Hurt them, then kill them, then shame them. Just make them go away. So he does his magic. He gets out his, 
his pesticide wand and he starts to spray. My neighbors are irate. And they let me know. They say, do you not understand that if you use pesticide, it eventually finds its way into the groundwater and you will destroy this beautiful Seattle place that we all enjoy? Do you not understand that? I'm from the desert. I don't know what water looks like. Now, here's why everybody in Seattle is frustrated. Everybody has a cause. Everybody cares about creation but it doesn't make sense to them in the way things are going because they don't know that creation is all about Jesus. This only makes sense in light of Jesus. I understand that. That's why it's no problem for me to kill spiders. I completely get that Jesus put spiders here and he put me here to kill them for his glory. And if I could detonate a small nuclear device that would destroy every spider in Seattle, I would take my chances. Mushroom cloud and all, I would do it. (laughs) Creation is all about Jesus. He has created all things, visible and invisible. All things have come into being by him, through him, and ultimately all things are for him. Creation is all about Jesus. What about the church? Glad you asked. Verse 18. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be, what? Preeminent. That he might be supreme. He's the head. The head means he is In charge, it means he is the Lord of Lords. It means he is the King of Kings. What I love to say when I come back to the Southwest, he is el jefe de los jefes, okay? That's who Jesus is. And the church exists so that in everything we are and in everything we do as the people of God, redeemed by Jesus, he might be preeminent, So Stonegate, we would say it this way. Creation, it's all about Jesus. The church, it's all about Jesus. But here's the problem. Most churches start out with the intent that it's going to be all about Jesus and they quickly drift away to other things. Right? Let me contrast two experiences in my own life in church. Came back to Albuquerque, New Mexico in, in 1995. Been away for a few years and, and went, went to work for a church. And I had the responsibility of discipleship and evangelism. If you've been in church for a while, you're, you're a church person, probably something similar to the associate pastor or the pastor of education or discipleship, something like that. That was my title. If you were to join this church as a new member, much like Baskin Robbins, you would be given 31 options. So you join the church, and here are your ministry options. we got 31 to choose from. And it was amazing the things you could do at this church. You could literally get together weekly. You could knit tatted doilies for Jesus. All right, You could do that at this church. There was something for every age category, every person, and all these things were disconnected, and it was an incredible mess to manage. 
And as I begin to get to the bottom of what's going on in this church, why are we offering so many things? I came to the conclusion that this church, somewhere in its history, moved away from it being all about Jesus. And now it was about whatever you wanted to do. Now it was about 31 different things or 100 different things. But those things didn't find alignment and connection, and they weren't integrated around the supremacy of Jesus. You've seen this before, I trust. I don't believe you see it at Stonegate, but you've seen it. I work at Mars Hill. Mars Hill's an amazing place. This Sunday we'll have close to 11,000 people that will gather together over three different states, four different states now, four different states, 14 different local churches. Um, if this were part of Mars Hill Church, this would be the nicest building we would ever have. Uh, so we have a lot of interesting buildings that are, that are, that are uh, not the greatest, but we see Jesus doing amazing things. What we say at Mars Hill Church all the time, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And so every ministry we have and everything we do and everything we are ultimately has to find meaning and connection to Jesus. Church is 15 years old. 15 years old. This week, guess what we began talking about on the senior leadership team? We began to discuss the possibility of youth ministry and women's ministry. Isn't that interesting? Now, those aren't bad things. Those are really good things. But what we've said and what we're communicating, as the church is about Jesus, we don't need to do a lot of programs. We don't need to do a lot of ministries because life revolving around Jesus is really rather simple. We come together like this in a big group and we worship Jesus publicly and corporately and then we meet together and we build communities and those communities are on mission with Jesus. Doesn't take a lot of programming to do that. What it does take is a commitment to be all about Jesus. Stonegate Church, are you all about Jesus? Because the church is all about Jesus. So I want to show you something in this next text. Really exciting. Creation, all about Jesus. All things were created by him, through him, for him. Visible and invisible. Church, it's all about Jesus. He is the head of the church that in everything he might be preeminent. Now, there's a place where creation collides with the church. And I want you to see what's going on there. That's the next text. Look with me, if you will, back. Colossians 1, verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. I don't want to go too fast beyond that. Let's stop there for just a minute and camp out. Do you see what that's saying? That's saying all that God is lives in Jesus. Jesus is fully God, he's fully human, but he's fully God, and all that is fully God resides in Jesus. When you see Jesus, you've seen all that God is. All that God chose to reveal of himself is fully revealed in Jesus. We don't need to look beyond Jesus to see all that God is, because all that God is is in Jesus. That's why 2 Corinthians 4 says, in the face of Jesus, we see the glory of God. So I was dating my wife, Kara. I could tell there was a part of me she, she didn't see, that she hadn't seen all that was fully Dave in my personality. And I knew there was only one way to let her see it, and it was dangerous because it wasn't really the good part of who I was. But I said to her, I said, you don't know me until you've sat next to me as I watched the Dallas Cowboys lose a football game, all right? You don't know me. 
Things come out of my personality in that setting that are difficult to see. That you really have to love me and you have to trust Jesus to love you and love me as you love me if you're going to take this next step of marriage with me. Because if it were possible biblically to lose your salvation, then I would lose my salvation every Sunday as I watch my team lose. You know what I'm talking about, right? There, there is a team in the Metroplex called the Dallas Cowboys. Have you heard of him? Maybe not. So I said, once you've watched the Dallas Cowboy game with me and you still want to marry me, then we'll go through with this because I don't want you backing out after we get married. You see who I am on game day and you change your mind. All that I am and all the different manifestations and quirks and aspects of my personality ultimately are revealed at the end of that experience. That's what we're saying about Jesus. You want to see God? Look at Jesus. Jesus manifests all that God is. All that God is is seen in Jesus, and Jesus is fully God. Now keep that in mind, because here's where creation and the church collide in a beautiful way. You ever wonder what in the world is God doing? Here we go. Verse 20. And through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross, the blood of his cross. That's what God is doing. That's the mission of God in the world today. That Jesus is all about, all, all creation is about Jesus. The church is all about Jesus. And where church and creation intersect, God is doing a powerful work through Jesus in that he's reconciling to himself people and a creation that's estranged from him, that's due his wrath, that's in decay because of human sin. God is completely redeeming everything through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Church, that's our mission. That's our mission. The church has one mission, whether it's in Midlothian or whether it's in Seattle, Washington. One mission. And that is to be on mission with God. And this is what God is doing in the world today. He's reconciling to Himself a world that's estranged and alienated and broken beyond repair if he doesn't intervene through the person and work of Jesus. The church has one message too. It's the blood of his cross. That's the message we preach. Otherwise known as the gospel. The Bible's not about a thousand messages. The Bible's about one message. Now, there may be a thousand applications of that message, but the message of the Bible is Jesus. The message of the Bible goes something like this, and we see it in this passage. The world was created by Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus. We were created, and everything that exists, visible and invisible, was created to worship Jesus. But our common parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God in the garden, and everything has gone downhill since. Their sin, their rebellion, created a human race that is born in antagonistic relationship with God, estranged from God. We would say that by nature, by birth, and by choice, we are sinful. We are rebellious. And the result is we're estranged from God. And all of creation, the Bible says, groans, cries out for redemption because all of creation, creation fell when our common parents, Adam and Eve, sinned. 
And there's nothing we can do to remedy the situation. Nothing. But here's the good news. God's come on a rescue mission. God has come to redeem us, to buy us back, to reconcile us. The Bible says it this way. This is what transpired on the cross. This is why the blood of His cross is so important. Something amazing happened according to 2 Corinthians 5.21. He, God, made Him Jesus who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf. Jesus became sin. Was He sinful? No. He was sinless. But God put our sin upon Him. What? That we might become the righteousness of God. Church, that's our mission. We get to go out into all of creation and tell people, you were created by Jesus. You were created through Jesus. You were created for Jesus, but you're estranged from Jesus because of sin. But here's the good news. You can be reconciled through Jesus, through His finished work on the cross. That he who knew no sin became sin, that you might become the righteousness of God. And you can be forgiven, and not just forgiven, you can be freed from sin, that you might worship Jesus, the very point he intended you for, the very point he created you for, the very purpose that you were made for. Here's what's sad about Christianity in America today it's really not all about Jesus anymore sociologist named Christian Smith made it his point, along with another sociologist, to study religious youth, uh, youth, study the, the perspective of religion on youth in the United States of America. So he interviewed thousands of youth. He listened to hours and hours of youth pastor sermons. Here's what he said the religion of America is, and I totally agree with him. He said if he had to put a, a category to it, he would call it moralistic, therapeutic, Deism. Doesn't sound like Christianity, does it? It's because it's not. Moralistic. Everything is about doing more and trying harder. We should try hard to do good things and be good people. Therapeutic. It's all about healing and getting ourselves together and finding healing. And it's deism. It's about a nebulous concept of God. Here's what's sad about that church. You know where those ideas come from? The very church that proclaims It's Christian. Church is off mission. Church is off message. Creation, it's all about Jesus. The church, it's all about Jesus. The mission and the message, that very place where creation and the church collide, still all about Jesus. I want to give you some diagnostic tools this morning as we finish out our time to look at your church, to look at your life, and to truly see if it's all about Jesus. So let's pose this question. If it isn't all about Jesus, or this statement, if it isn't all about Jesus, then, and three categories that I know Stonegate is about, every church should be about worship, community, and mission. So let's look through those three paradigms. Are you with me? How do we know if a church is no longer all about Jesus? Let's talk about worship first. Worship happens in all of life. What I'm really talking about in this worship in a narrower sense, what happens on Sunday or whenever churches meet, okay? So if it isn't all about Jesus, then guess what? Worship is sentimental, 
not transformational. Once you see that. If Jesus isn't central in worship, if Jesus isn't preeminent in worship, if worship isn't all about Jesus, then worship is nothing, nothing else than a sentimental exercise. It's not transformational. Here's what I would suggest is going on all over the Metroplex this morning. People are having some very sentimental experiences, but very few people are experiencing encounters with Jesus in life-transforming ways. And for many people, worship is a sentimental experience, much like I had in Lubbock a month ago. Let me see if I can put this in context. As I told you earlier, I have two daughters that go to Texas Tech. They are now on my wife's side, the fourth generation that has gone to Tech. And all I have to say is guns up today, right? All right. I feel bad for some OU folks. Uh, I feel bad for Nate, my dear friend and my assistant. I don't feel very bad for Rodney, quite frankly, but I feel bad for Laura. Longhorns, we exacted revenge for the state of Texas. You're welcome. Would you share a little bit of the money with us? All right. Share the love. Went to a tech game. Was at our X29 South Regional a few weeks ago. Went to a tech game. And it was nostalgic. Sat with my kids, which was really significant. And went through all the traditions. The going band from Raiderland came out on the field. Awesome. Sang the Matador song like a worship song, even with praise movements, you know. Fantastic. Masked Rider came out on the field. Everybody went crazy. The game was incredible. I laughed. I cried. I screamed. I did things that I had to ask for forgiveness later. But at the end of the day, they won. Team came around the stands. All the stands gathered together and sang with the team. It was an incredible experience. It was a sentimental experience. But it wasn't a life-changing experience. Because as I left the stadium and we walked across the street to get pizzas, I really wasn't a different person. And most specifically, I wasn't a man as a result of that experience who thought, felt, spoke, and acted more like Jesus. I just had a sentimental experience, that's all. There are people gathered in churches all over the city all over this metropolitan statistical area, all over this state, all over this nation, all over this world, that that's all they're getting out of today. Oh, it's nostalgic. I sang some songs I was familiar with. I hung out with some people I love. Some cool things happened that stirred me emotionally and connected me to the past, but at the end of the day, it didn't change me. Why didn't it change you? Because it wasn't all about Jesus. Stonegate, listen to me. I've been here long enough in the last day to be around your folks, to see what happens. I can tell you, worship at Stonegate, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. You should be encouraged. But if you're only having a sentimental experience as you come here, that's your problem. It's not Stonegate's problem. We're going to talk about how to fix that in just a minute. Let's talk about community. If it isn't all about Jesus, then guess what? Community is exclusive, not inclusive. Now let me explain that. I'm not suggesting for a moment that you don't 
have a clear sense of who in the community belongs to Jesus and those that are trying to find their way towards Jesus. You need to have those distinctions. I'm not saying that you blindly open the doors to uh, folks who may come in and actually hurt people here. I'm not suggesting that for a moment. Here's what I am saying. That if community is all about Jesus, then it's going to have to be inclusive. And this is the very thing that got Jesus in trouble with his arch enemies while he was on earth. We called them Pharisees. You know what Pharisee means? It means to be separated. And the Pharisees started out with a pure intention. After Israel had gone into exile, they decided, we don't ever want to do that again. That wasn't fun. It's the, you know, it's the kid. It's the decision you make after you got spanked really hard. I don't want to be spanked again, so I'm going to draw some new lines. So they went beyond the Bible, created rules that weren't in the Bible, so they wouldn't get close to breaking the rules in the Bible. And they decided they were going to separate from people who didn't keep those rules. And really what the Pharisees were saying is, somehow sin is an airborne illness. We can catch it from people. If they sin and they don't wash their hands, then we will get it. And so we are going to separate ourselves out from people who are clearly alienated from God. Jesus comes on the scene, and what does he do? He makes them really mad because he hangs out with people they wouldn't hang out with. And when we see Jesus, he's hanging out with this category that's, that's loosely called what? Sinners and tax collectors. So Jesus has an inclusive community. Jesus has a pursuing community. Jesus has and is building a community that's completely open to the people who need it the most. And if Stonegate Church is all about Jesus, then guess what your home groups are going to be? Be open. They're going to be open. Here's my experience. We planted a church in Albuquerque, and for a while, we met in a real transitional area, in an area that was semi-affluent. It's where the church resided, and right on the edge of it was something we affectionately call the war zone, really a tough, tough area. And as we prayed and we, we saw Jesus expanding our influence, we really felt from his heart, let's go after people who don't go to church. So we really honed in on the most unchurched area in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and we found that it was right by surprisingly, the University of New Mexico, right in the heart of the Arts District, right in the heart of the Red Light District, right in the heart of everything that's interesting to people who probably don't know Jesus. And we discussed this very openly. Hey, here's where we're going, people. Do you want to go or not? And everybody said, let's go. Let's go together. Let's go hang out with people and take our church to people who, who don't yet know Jesus. And we asked them several times, are you in? We're in. Let's go. We went down there. And guess what? People who didn't know Jesus, and it was very obvious they didn't know him, began to show up. Guess what happened to those people who said, we want to open our lives to them? They hustled back to the traditional churches in the safe part of town. One family in particular I loved dearly. I had known this guy for Years He was in the student ministry when I was leading it. And he said, hey, me and my wife are in. And they came down, and they came down for a few weeks until a guy named Steve showed up. Uh, I wish you could all meet Steve. Steve's actually a good friend. Steve is stricken with paranoid schizophrenia. And before he met Jesus and before 
his illness was brought a little bit under control. He's the guy that used to walk up and down uh, the street that we met on in Albuquerque, throwing rocks through windows, oftentimes undressed and disheveled. So Steve's life has begun to change, but not that much. So when Steve walked through the door, some of our people walked out. Broke my heart. Good news is Steve has stayed. He's still there. I don't know where those folks are now. Is Stonegate inclusive? Would the most notorious, wretched public center in Midlothian, and I can't even imagine what that would look like, all right, would that person be welcome here today and received with open arms as we gather to worship? Would that person be allowed to come into your home group? If it's all about Jesus, the answer is yes. Reluctantly, maybe. Difficult, maybe. Challenging, maybe. Praying to Jesus for grace in the moment, maybe. But yes. Here's the danger in building a family-centered church, and you're doing that, and I think it's good, but I just want to warn you, here's the danger. Is your family open to outsiders? Is your family open to people that aren't married yet? Is your family open to young singles? Is your family open to middle-aged divorced folks? Is your family open to widows and widowers? I had a woman tell me last week in Marcel Albuquerque, and it really choked me up, that I'm 55 years old, I don't have a husband, I don't have kids, and I'm feeling so left out because I see all the families get together and there's no place for me. And I told her that's simply a symptom, and the cause is that we're not all about Jesus in that moment. Because if we're all about Jesus, community is inclusive. It's not exclusive. Last thing and we're done. Which when a guest speaker says it means absolutely nothing at all. Okay? You'll learn that. Probably even when your pastor says it, it means the same. Nothing. Let's talk about mission. If it isn't all about Jesus, then worship is sentimental, not transformational. If it isn't all about Jesus, then community is exclusive. It's not inclusive. If it's not all about Jesus, then mission promotes religion and not reconciliation. Here's religion in a nutshell. And it's the thing that Jesus hated and confronted and was most angry about when he walked the earth. Religion says, if I avoid doing the wrong things and I do the right things, I will earn God's love. That's a dangerous proposition. Because as I told you earlier, there is nothing you can do to remedy the alienation that you have, which is very real, from God. But God has done it all through Jesus. That's why our singular message isn't clean up your life, isn't vote this way, vote that way, get everything together. It's come to the cross and find there the blood of Jesus shed for your sin. And the way that we come to know Jesus is the same way we grow in Jesus. So all of life is is just another example of repentance and faith. It's not like we begin relationship with Jesus through faith and then we move towards doing good things for Jesus. It's not the way it works. But religion is all about, if I do things this way that are good and I avoid doing bad things, then God will eventually love me. 
And if Jesus isn't front and center in mission, if mission isn't all about Jesus, then all we're going to do is promote religion. I want to say something hard to you today. And I'll leave, and so Pastor Rodney, he can clean up the mess, and I will pray for him and for you from Seattle. Can I tell you the great myth about Texas? The great myth about Texas is Texas is a solid Christian place. It is not. What Texas does well is religion. It's a religious place. Don't deceive yourselves. And in that sense, I think Jesus has planted you in perhaps the most difficult soil that may exist in the United States of America. I'm in Seattle. People want to love and worship spiders. It's not difficult to understand where they stand with Jesus. You rub shoulders every day with people in your home, with people in the workplace, with people in your school, with people in your community who think they are going to heaven because they are religious and they don't know Jesus. Here's how I can tell. How can I make such a bold statement? Here's here's the litmus test. Ready? If Jesus is front and center in mission, if it really is all about Jesus, guess what happens instead of religion? Reconciliation. Now follow me through with this. What the Bible teaches is that when we actually encounter Jesus, not only are we made right with Jesus and we're reconciled with him, guess what happens? We're reconciled to one another. And Ephesians 2 makes this amazing statement of what Jesus is doing on mission when he takes two people that represent really all the people in the world, Jews who are religious, Gentiles who are irreligious, he brings them together and they're not only reconciled to Jesus, they who naturally hate each other, they who naturally segregate and separate and disassociate in culture come together and they become family. So so here's what I'm telling you today. If indeed Christianity, true Christianity, it's all about Jesus type of Bible Christianity, was flourishing in Texas, guess what you would be experiencing? Reconciliation of people who don't associate outside these doors. But you know what I'll tell you, and I promise you sociologists can bear this out today, the most segregated hour in DFW is 11 o'clock on Sundays which tells me that's what religion does. It's not what Jesus does. Are you experiencing reconciliation with Jesus? How do we know, Pastor Dave? Well, not only are your own heart changed from the inside out by God's grace, you begin to reconcile with people you otherwise would have serious differences with outside these walls. I don't know what it looks like here. I can guess. Maybe it's a black-white issue, right? Because Jesus is who he is and because his mission is reconciling people to himself and to each other, then the churches should look pretty integrated, right? So this gathering today really should probably reflect in some capacity the the broader demographics of Midlothian. I've looked around Midlothian, believe it or not, it's a diverse place. Maybe it's over economic status. Maybe the separation in this community really has to do between rich and poor. Wouldn't it be cool if homeless people were included in home groups? Then I would tell you, that's the gospel. 
That's the mission. Jesus is at work here. If you said, hey, this week we're, meet- we're meeting on my acreage, you know, bring your kids, they can ride horses. And next week we're meeting under the bridge at Joe's cardboard box because that's his house and that's where we're going. You would have something there. That would be exciting. That would be evidence of the gospel at work. That would be evidence that it's all about Jesus. What if it's not about race? What if it's not about socioeconomic status? What, is, what if it's about gender? What if we saw the evidence that it's all about Jesus at Stonegate because men and women come together and it's not a predatory, it's, it's not a predatory culture, it's not a weird culture, but people actually act like brother and sister in Christ. And it's a safe place for women and men actually act like men and they love and they serve and they lead and they nourish and women flourish. Wouldn't that be cool? Then we would say, guess what? It's all about Jesus. Because the proof is these genders that are oftentimes alienated outside these doors come together and through the reconciling work of God through Jesus, people are building deep relationships. All right, let me throw this one out if I haven't got you yet. This one's really going to get your goat. You ready? It's like I said, I can catch a plane later, and I love you. You can send me emails, and my assistant will put them in the trash. All right? Um, take it up with Pastor Rodney. This was his idea. What about politically? Uh-oh. What if the evidence of it being all about Jesus as Stonegate was on mission with him was the fact that you would have Republicans and Democrats together in worship saying, we may, we, may, we may vote against each other outside these walls, but when we come in here, we are family. This is the most important relationship, and we love each other. Let me take it a step further. What if you had a home group that was led simultaneously by a card-carrying member of the Tea Party and someone who was pouring all their money into Occupy Wall Street, I would tell you, Jesus is at work here. (laughs) I can't explain that. (laughs) Worse yet, amazing yet, maybe the biggest obstacle, what if Aggies and Longhorns came together in the name of Jesus? Stonegate, creation, it's all about Jesus. The church, all about Jesus. A place where the world intersects with the church, the mission of God in the world to reconcile all things to himself so that everything is brought back under the authority and worship of Jesus. Guess what? All about Jesus. Can I tell you something? So I've been with you this weekend. I can say without reservation, this church, it's not perfect, but it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The only question that remains, are you all in? Are you all in? Will you build your life around Jesus here? Simple things you can do today. You had a card when you came in, or it should be under your seat if you'll just check the box. I need to know more about Jesus. Maybe what you've understood today is you've just been religious. Maybe you've had an experience years ago. You walked an aisle, you were baptized, you prayed a prayer, 
And truth be told, your life hasn't transformed anyway. You're no more a person who feels, thinks, speaks, and acts like Jesus today than that experience that happened 25 years ago. Let me tell you, you don't know Jesus. Because to know Jesus is to be changed by Jesus. Not perfectly, but there should be evidence in your life that look at me, I'm not perfect, but I'm becoming more like Jesus every day. If you can't say that, then I want to take you back to this good news. Guess what? You can be reconciled today. You can be forgiven today. That sin that you carry on your back, that you try to attack through religion, Jesus has already taken care of it on the cross. Give it to him. In exchange, he will give you his righteousness. And today you'll be forgiven from sin and freed to walk in newness of life to worship Jesus, the very purpose he created you for. Maybe some of you just need to get involved in community. Simply just say, I want to be a part of Stonegate. Stonegate, Jesus is doing amazing things here. I'm so encouraged to be in a church. It's all about Jesus. I'm so encouraged to be in a church that's all about Jesus in a city that so desperately needs to know him. Are you in? Are you all in? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came on a rescue mission and you saved us. You've saved us. You presently are saving us. You ultimately will save us. And not only did you save us, you've invited us to join you on this mission. Thank you for Stonegate Church. Thank you for those who love you here. I pray they would continue to, by your finished work on the cross, build their lives around you and experience the joy of being on mission with you. I pray that many, many, many people today deceived by religion would be reconciled in the future by these dear brothers and sisters going out with you and being a part of your global project to restore all things where they belong, and that is under the authority and in worship of Jesus. In your great name we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.